We're back into the book of Matthew. Um, something I just love that John Forsyth did is he said, hey, open up your Bibles. Um, so if you are, if you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, Raul, can you grab, or you, sorry, you were headed out to children's ministry. If anybody needs a Bible, uh, raise your hand. Um, it is good. And we've got electronics. Anybody? You, got, you need one, Bobby? Here, he's got one for you. Um, this is a great way to follow along um, on the screen. Our phones are awesome now. If you don't have the Bible app, you should get it. Um, besides prompting you every day with a verse of the day, it's, it's a great way to read God's Word. But, but when we're reading God's Word, we want, we want to take it in. We want to absorb it. We want this brain of mine, I want it to capture God's Word. And, and the way our brains work, if you've ever looked at the best way to study, is to have not just visual, but audible, physical. And our brains tie all those things together. So there's so many passages that having spent time with a physical Word of God, physical written, I can think in my head, oh, I know that verse. It's, it's in the upper right-hand corner. I, I marked this next to it. And and you know, I'm not quite sure what the reference is, but it's, it's there. It's captured. I, I, I can go find it because I felt it, touched it. So it's important. And I, and I want to, anyone who's, who's not familiar with God's Word, if you're online and you're, and you're checking in, you might be intimidated by this book. You know, we give a, a passage and it, sometimes it's abbreviated and and there's these different names, and then there's numbers and colons and numbers and dashes and numbers, and you're going, what are, what are they talking about? We all had to learn how to find things. This is a Bible. When it was originally written, it didn't have those numbers. didn't have those dashes and, and things in it. Those were added as references so that we can get to things quickly. But it does take a little bit of learning how to find your place in the Bible. So um, I did this morning put bookmarks um, where we're going to be in, in the book of Matthew. Um, great to bring your Bible, and this is a safe context to be able to just follow along and, and try out, finding places in the Bible to follow along. And then as we're going through a passage, it is quite okay. If I'm not reading a particular verse and it's not up on the screen, you can still be looking at it, see it in front of you. Um, I love that the... Uh, uh, our one hope group that's called themselves the Bereans. Um, it was the Bereans that uh, when, when Paul was passing through there that were checking to see, is what he's saying true? And they were opening their scripture to, to test it. Um, it's a good thing to get familiar with the passage. And we're going to just be going through Matthew. I don't know how long it's going to take. Um, a bit of a time as, as God gives us each piece. So you can get really familiar with Matthew as we go through. So enough of that. I, I love that John has encouraged us um, to open our Bibles. It's a very good thing. So we're in Matthew chapter 8. If you recall, I don't know how many weeks ago, uh, we had finished the Sermon on the Mount, and, and Jesus then, <clears throat> or Matthew, takes us to an encounter of Jesus with a leper, and we see now Matthew starting to go through 
some events that happened. A leper who was unclean, an outcast, and Jesus touched him to heal him. And now we're going to look at a different kind of outcast in a sense, someone who is outside of the Jewish community, a Gentile. So let's read in Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5. It says, when he, entered, when he had entered Capernaum, Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, <clears throat> appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Lord, thank you for your word. God, thank you for leading Matthew at this part in his account of the gospel, of your gospel, to lead us to this particular miracle. God, help us to understand what you would have us learn from it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The centurion is now the one that Jesus is going to interact with. What is a centurion? He's a Roman. Cinta is a hundred. He was, he was a Roman centurion in charge and commanding a hundred Roman soldiers. There in Capernaum, he was a major part of the law, of, of the emperor of Rome's rule in Capernaum was through these centurions and, and their soldiers. And so this is not a Jew, so someone outside of the Jews, but what we, what we learn about him, there's another account of this same event in, in Luke that goes into greater detail. This was a man who loved God's people, who loved God, uh, and, and he had actually helped to build the synagogue that was there. He had provided the synagogue for the Jews there in Capernaum. But now what is he facing? His servant that he cares for. Luke and Matthew describe different aspects of, of how he cares about the servant and, and his illness, paralyzed, near death. Doesn't matter how many Roman soldiers he commands. What he's facing, he can't handle. Doesn't matter that the authority of the, of the emperor of Rome is, is through him and he wields such great authority there where he's at. He can't heal his servant. That's what he's facing. In verse 10, we see something incredible in Jesus seeing this man's faith. This man saying, 
No, Jesus, you don't even need to come into my house. You can just say the word. Jesus, the Son of God, marveled at this man's faith. In verse 10, he says, I tell you the truth, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Among the chosen people, among those of the promise, among those that he is coming to, that, that he is speaking to, that all his ministry so far has been to Israel, he says, no one among them has had such faith as this centurion. And, the, and then at the end of this, in verse 13, Jesus says to the centurion, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. If you've ever tried to figure out, okay, we say believe, and then we say our faith, how do those work together? Here's a good example, belief and faith. Jesus saw his faith, and it was according to his belief that he was, his, his request was answered. See, when, when what we believe leads us to a place where our actions that we take then are only substantiated, only held up, only understood because of something that we believe, that there's no other reason. If we didn't believe that, we would not be taking that action. Stepping out, that's faith. And faith is seen because it leads to these actions that you go, oh, he must believe that in order to get him to this place where he's doing this. His words that he used to say, Jesus, no, you don't need to come into my house. You can just speak words. That's, that's action of faith. So as we're looking at this, how have I believed? What is that underlying belief in my life? And, and what are those steps that I'm taking? That the only rational reason behind those that, that, that could possibly get me to do that is because of what I believe. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing that. What steps in my life are I taking in faith because of what I believe? What are you facing right now? This man was facing a situation that he couldn't handle. Now, there's plenty that we are facing as a community, as a, as a country, a nation, as Kyle, as Hayes County, even as we're sending our kids back to school, they're facing uncertainty. We just came back from a conference where they were just reiterating kind of what we've already known, but just among kids. The level of anxiety among children right now is at an all-time high. It was already high in 2019. But we, we got into 2020, and it just put fuel on the fires, like pouring gasoline on the anxiety and the depression that comes out of that anxiety that was already there. What our kids are facing together. But, but this morning, what is it that you are facing? And what do you believe? I'd like to look at the belief of the centurion, this belief that took such notice of Jesus, this faith 
What is it about his belief? Well, right off the bat, certainly not substantiated by his authority or the great strength that he wields as a centurion, his belief is centered on Jesus. That's our first point this morning. It's centered on Jesus. What was powerful about his belief? You know, when we consider what we're facing right now, and we think, okay, I'm, this is how I'm going to handle it. This is how I'm going to deal with what's in front of me. This is, this is how I'm going to get past it. What am I reaching out to? Where, where is my belief, that, that belief that's going to then drive what I act on, what I do, what I employ to deal with what's in front of me? What's that centered on? We put it on so many things. And, and the centurion, I'm sure, in his life has, has wielded his belief in, in, in the strength and training of his Roman soldiers over and over again. That's what's going to deal with the issue. What, there's so many things that in my life, I, you know, what money is in the bank? That's that, you know, sometimes that's the center. <laughs> you know, we, with our bank accounts, we get to see belief and faith and action. Have you ever taken a step in spending, trusting that something was going to hit your bank account in time. That's, that's, that's belief and faith. I'm taking an action of faith, that's, that's faith, based on a belief of something that's going to happen, right? Well, this man's belief in this case right here, that so impressed Jesus, was centered fully on Jesus. You know, the word belief around us in media, in movies, in great feel-good messages would have us believe that belief itself has power to do something. If you've ever been to Disneyland, you probably got that message. <laughs> Just believe. And when you try to dig into the substance of, okay, what is that belief centered on? What is this thing that's going to, to be powerful, to be effective? Where does it go? It goes right here. Believe in yourself. And there's something to that, for, to inspire confidence in, in this creature that God created that's amazing, that can do many things. It's, you know, if I, if, I can, if I can inspire confidence, then I can operate in, in every ability that God has given me, sure, I'm going to see results. But that wouldn't have helped the centurion. And the more that we try to operate believing in ourself, we start realizing that just physical strength surely isn't going to get me through what's ahead. And as I try to, try to go into my mental strength, what do I have? I have, I have my own anxieties. I have my own circles of depression. I have my own struggles in the end, but what's at the core of that is sin. I, I'm a terribly selfish being, and if I'm just believing in myself, and now I'm broken trying to, I'm going to run out. So what the world puts forward as belief, as if somehow this belief or belief in yourself is going to produce what it takes to have true life. It's empty. 
And then we have a lot of perspectives of who Jesus is. Is my belief centered on Jesus or is my belief centered on some idea of Jesus? Well, when you, when you consider your belief centered on Jesus, what, what is that? Is that the true Jesus Christ who lives today, who's seated at the right hand of the Father? Is, is that, or, or, or is it just this imitation in my mind of, of who Jesus is? Do I know Jesus? A lot of times we end up with a fabricated Jesus when we're trying to come up with justification for a course of action that's not rooted in him at all. It's rooted in something else, but I want to show how Jesus is a part of it. And so I'm going to say, well, well, Jesus would certainly want it this way. Jesus would certainly follow it this, this way. This is the course that he would take. But am I truly rooted in Jesus? Jesus is alive today. He's real. There's only one Jesus. doesn't matter what I try to make him out to be. He is one way. This centurion's faith centered on Jesus was not just on a whim. It wasn't just because he, he'd heard about Jesus. No, this was time. This was, a, this was a man who loved the nation of Israel, who loved God, loved God's people from outside, had provided their synagogue. And, and this is a place where we've already read in Matthew that Jesus came to stay in this town. This is where he called his disciples out. This is where, where those disciples that he's called out lived there. So Jesus had already spent time there doing miracles there. He was, he was present there. The centurion would have known about this man who appeared to be empowered by God, this God that he loved, this God of this people that he loved. And, and so this was time that he would have had to know about Jesus. So it wasn't just... A moment hearing about this Jesus. This was, this was a man who had his eyes on God already and then has seen this Jesus for some time. For us to know Jesus, to see him as he truly is, for him to be at the center of our belief, it's going to take time actually looking for him. Have you spent time in God's word? It says, everything that we need for life and godliness comes through the knowledge of Jesus. When you open this book from end to end, you are getting to know a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And until you know him, how can you believe in him? How, how can you have him at the center of what you believe? What are you facing? What do you believe? Is Jesus at the center of it? In verse 5, go back to the beginning of this passage. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. 
But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy. I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. See, there was tradition then, we see it pop up a little bit in the New Testament, that for a Gentile to enter a Jew's house made them unclean, the the Jews. And and in his mind, for, for, for Jesus to come into his house would make Jesus unclean. Where have we seen something like this before? Just the previous account, the leper Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me. No doubt of Jesus' ability to heal, but doubt of Jesus' willingness. Here he's saying, Jesus, you you don't need to come. You don't need to do as you did with that leper. I don't know that he knew about the healing of the leper, but the leper, Jesus reached out and touched him. That would have made him unclean, but no. Jesus wasn't made unclean. Jesus made the man clean. That's what happens when our sin meets Jesus. But this man said, no, I'm not worthy, Jesus, for you to come into my house. Here's the second thing about this man's faith. What his belief was is his, he believed that he was not worthy. I am not worthy. In Luke's account, we see a little bit more detail in this interaction. The centurion didn't actually, when, when he's speaking to, to Jesus, he's speaking through other people. He sent people to Jesus. He didn't consider him, he didn't want to presume to actually meet Jesus face to face. I am not worthy of you, Jesus. So he actually sent Jewish elders. See, he loved the Jews. Jewish elders to go on his behalf and ask Jesus to heal his servant. And, and, and then... These Jewish elders are trying to actually convince Jesus of his worthiness. That's where we get this about him. They're saying, this man is worthy for you to heal his servant. He loves our nation. He, He provided for us a synagogue. This man is worthy. Who do we think is worthy around us? So many times. God, sure. You, this person of all people, this is a good person. Heal them. Meet their need. Or in myself. God, I deserve this. <laughs> Word gets back to the man, the centurion. But Jesus is headed for his house. So then he sends servants to say, no, no, don't come into my house. <laughs> I'm not worthy. Boy, the world around us would tell us that our belief system needs to be rooted in what we deserve. Isn't it? I need that because that's what I deserve. Youth. It's a very easy thing to feel like. I deserve a normal high school experience. It's been stripped away from me. And and we'd say, why why should you deserve this? To have to go through not just what was last year, but we don't even know what's coming up next year, right? 
And where we go naturally is to say, Here's, I deserve better. And we go take that in prayer to the Lord and say, I deserve more than this. We figure if we've worked hard, then we deserve something for that. I'm a good person. This shouldn't happen to a good person. We've actually adopted Eastern religion thinking. If you've, if, you've, if you've heard of karma, that's Eastern religion. That's not Bible. That's not Jesus. That thinking of, of somehow uh, I, can, I can earn points to get some blessing back. You know, this faith that so impressed Jesus, this belief that so impressed Jesus was a belief that said, I am not worthy. I don't deserve Jesus for you even to come into my house. The more I see the true Jesus, how he truly is, the more I read God's word to understand everything about Jesus, holy, seated at the right hand of the Father, glorious, truly, perfect and righteous in everything and the greatness of his grace and mercy and everything about Jesus, the more that I can see that and understand that, the more I am going to realize I am not worthy of him. But I need to get to know the real Jesus. Isaiah was one of one of my favorite prophets just for the book that we have, the book of Isaiah, written hundreds of years before Christ came, but has so much about what to expect when Christ came and, and also looks forward to when Christ is going to come again. It's an incredible book of prophecy. Isaiah, a mouthpiece for God, a, a, a spokesman for God, a, a prophet. God spoke through him as he as he stood there with, with, with the kings of Israel and, and, and God spoke through him. And ultimately, we have this book now of, of the words that God spoke through Isaiah. Early on, Isaiah has this vision in chapter 6. I'm going to read it. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. He is seeing a real place, church. It's the throne room of God. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know, we would say about Jesus, we would say about God, well, God is love. We have that from 1 John. God is love, and we're right. Love is completely defined by God, but our version of love doesn't define Him. There is no attribute of God, His, His, His love, His mercy, His grace, His power, His omniscience, His wrath. His 
goodness. There's no attribute of God that is spoken in triplet in the Bible other than His holiness. And holiness is really not just one attribute. It's everything about God set apart. That's who He is, holy in every attribute. He is set apart and beyond us in every way. And they say in triplicate, holy, holy, holy. That's what Jesus is. That's what God Almighty is. That's what Yahweh is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory, and the foundations of, and the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah, beholding this sight of the throne room of God, what does he say? Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. He saw his own unworthiness to what was before him. He said, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Lord, I am a man of unclean lips. The more we come to see Jesus as he truly is, realize, realize this instrument, by his grace, he's chosen to use. Isaiah, what was the instrument of, uh, of what, what God had chosen him to use? It was his mouth. That he was going to be speaking on behalf of God Almighty, the words of God, and he's saying, I see God, and woe is me because I'm a man of unclean lips. Out of my lips pours the abundance of my heart, and my heart is full of what is unclean. When we behold Jesus as he truly is, when we behold God as he truly is, and we come to understand that truly in our mind, we realize core of our belief, I am unworthy. But then we are met by His grace, His answer. In verse 6, still in Isaiah, then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Thank you, John Forsyth, for showing us Last week, the greatness of God's grace, the extent of God's grace. That a man of unclean lips, that every person unclean, outside of the fellowship of the Jews even, like the centurion, can be met by God's grace. We see that we are unworthy. And it's not because of our worthiness then that God's going to use us. It's by His grace. 
You know, we see the throne room again at the end when John on the island of Patmos is given this vision. And within the book of Revelation, we see that vision and, and there he is back in the throne room. You can recognize similar description from Isaiah. But there's another person present. God on his throne, but then among them is the Lamb who was slain. And then it says around, surrounding the throne, boy, God, you're messing me up this morning. Surrounding the throne was the hosts of heaven, multitudes, saying with a loud voice, can you imagine the roar of the multitudes, the uncountable multitudes of heaven, those angels saying with a loud voice, what were they saying? Worthy is the Lamb. He's the one who's worthy. As I consider Jesus at the center of my belief that, that beholding him as he truly is, it should, it should result in me saying, I am unworthy, but he is worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain for my sin. Worthy is the lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing, all those things I might be asking of God in my life. No, I am unworthy of those things. He is the one who is worthy. John the Baptist is baptizing people. What did he say? He said, I baptize you with water, but there's one who comes after me, and I am unworthy to even untie his sandals, to carry his sandals. But what is he going to do? He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire, just as Isaiah had the coal taken and, and, and to, to have his sins atoned for. When we put our faith in Jesus, Jesus at the center of our belief, then, then I am immersed into, that's what baptized means, I am immersed into the Holy Spirit, purging sin, cleansing, washing, so that I can be made clean, then to be used as His mouthpiece, as His instrument, as, as the instrument for His glory, because He is worthy. What are you facing, church? What do you believe? Is it rooted in, I deserve this God. I deserve a better high school experience. I deserve uh, health. I deserve, what? is it rooted in that or is it rooted in the glory of God of what I believe? Jesus tells him, I'm, I'll come to your house <laughs> to heal your servant. Jesus is willing. What does he say? Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word 
and my servant will be healed. Wow, what faith. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And we have in our, in our minds that God works this way. Here's the formula. I do these things and then God does this. That's kind of what they had. They, they had been God's people for so long. They had all the formulas for how God works. They had lost actual faith and belief. Here's what this man believed. Not only was his belief centered on Jesus, not only did he see Jesus and say, I am unworthy, but he believed that Jesus was able. There was no doubt in his mind that Jesus could heal his servant. Centurion understood authority. He wielded an authority that was above him. He, he wielded the authority of the emperor of Rome. He could, he could tell a soldier, go here. And as he said that, it was as, after, as if the emperor himself had said, go here. And if that soldier didn't obey, it could mean his life. There was authority that he had. He knew what that was. And what did he see in Jesus? I doubt he understood fully who Jesus was. But what he saw was the power of God through this man. And he loved God. He, he had studied God. He had, he had studied the people of God. And he loved them. And he had now seen this man. And as he spoke, he spoke with the authority of God. And he believed. Since this man spoke with the authority of God, the God who had created all things, the God who, who had created the, the heavens and the earth and everything in them, of course, Jesus could simply speak and my servant be healed. He knew that because he believed that it was the power of God that came from this man. Little did he know that it was God, the Son of God. Do we believe that Jesus is able? How have we said no God doesn't work that way, or he's not able to do this, or this is going to require that I do this. He simply believed, Jesus, you are able. The only question in his mind is, Jesus, are you willing? The same as the leper. So different than how the world around us sees belief. Or belief itself is somehow powerful to do anything, that, that somehow I, if, if I believe in myself, somehow I can produce something greater than myself. No, I'm going to just produce myself, just as broken and messed up as it's always been. That's the wisdom of the world. But no, this man believed Jesus, Jesus' ability, the power of God in Jesus. At the end of Matthew, we see Jesus as he's commissioning us to his work. He says, well, how does he start it? All power and authority has been given to me. So now I send you. He is the one who is able. He is the one who's powerful. What are you facing? 
What do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is capable? You know, what we believe is revealed by our faith. The steps that you're taking right now in life, the steps that I'm taking right now in life, are evidence of what I believe. Right? If I believe that Jesus has all authority, then I believe he has authority over my life too. Am I taking steps in faith believing that he has all authority? That if he directs me somewhere that is just an impossible barrier to to step forward into, that he has authority, he is able Do I believe He has authority in my life to direct my way, to direct my path, to answer the hard questions? Youth, as you're going back to high school, are you looking to Jesus for direction? Are you giving Him authority in your life? As you're deciding what you're going to do, for, for whatever decisions are placed before you, the closer you get to the end of high school, you got some big decisions coming before you, right? Jesus is able. What's Jesus' response here? Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who follow him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I want Jesus to see my faith that way. Wow, he's willing to do anything that I tell him. Wow, I could point him in a direction that that everything he can see with his own eyes, it's impossible, and yet he will still step that way because he believes in me. What great faith. Lord, help me to have that faith. Because so many times, in the simplest things, I will still doubt. I will still try to say, okay, well, God will... I think you're telling me to go that way. I'm going to go, but here's my plan B. Here's my plan C. Here's, here's how I'm going to make it up. When, what is that revealing about my faith? No, I'm not simply willing to just trust him. And to my best of my ability to understand his direction in my life, to just obey and believe that he is able. I want Jesus to say about me, look at this faith. I tell you, many, Jesus says, will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a main focus of Matthew in this passage. We're not going to go into it in great depth, but here's what's going on. They had heard these words before in Isaiah and and Psalms and this idea of gathering from the east and the west and even the north and the south coming to the kingdom. And what they understood at this time that to mean was, well, it's the dispersion of the Jews. The Jews, after, 
after captivity have been dispersed over this land, and they're going to be coming from the east and the west and the north and the south, and, and they're going to be the ones that these prophecies are talking about. And Jesus, with these scandalous words to them at that time, says, Behold, Many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom, the Jews, while there are those of the Jews right there who will be cast out to hell. That's what he's talking about there. Eternal suffering. Weeping, gnashing of teeth. What is he saying? Others like this centurion are going to be coming. Uh, John the Baptist, what we, what we mentioned, he talked about that there too. He said, what do you think? That you're because you're a descendant of Abraham that you're okay? God can raise up descendants of Abraham from these stones, he said. It's only through faith in Jesus that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. We've had that already. But here is the first time in the book of Matthew that we see the mystery of God's grace that has been there since the beginning but not understood that not only is Jesus coming, the lamb would be slain for the sins not only of the people of Israel but for the sins of the world. And this is good news for us, church, because we are those that will gather from the east and the west to recline. Not to just be outsiders looking in as this centurion was, but to be there and dine with the king of kings, to be a part of his table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's grace is extended to you. If you don't know Jesus, you've never put your faith in Jesus, then hear what we've been talking about this morning. There is no other way to be saved from our sin. Believing in yourself isn't going to work. That's a sinful cavity. Believing in in Belief itself is not going to get you anywhere. And even that we might be, if you're descended from Abraham, if you're a Jew, that, that's not enough. That bloodline is not enough. You're going to end up just like what he said here. There will be those that are even sons of the kingdom, the Jews that will be cast out. The only hope that we have is in Jesus. You guys can come on up. At camp, we were introduced to a new song. Um, I love it. It's a simple song. Kids, you probably... Kids, you guys are practically adults. Youth... (laughs) 150 years ago, you guys would already be considered adults. Remember the song, Beautiful? 
Boy, we had some good worship there, just like the worship we have here. And the song is just focusing on Jesus. And I love that it, it kind of has a, a chorus that can go get stuck in your head. It's a wonderful chorus that gets stuck in your head because you're just in your head going, beautiful. Jesus. What has he shown us if, if our lives, our focus is, is focused, centered on the true, glorified King of Kings, Jesus, the one who right now sits at the right hand of the Father? It, if, if our focus, if we come to know him and actually see him as he truly is, know what he wants, know what he wants of us, know his power, know that truly nothing in this world stands that is greater than Him, nothing. And as we put our focus on Him and see the majesty and beauty and, and, and glory of Christ and let that be at the center of what we know and believe, that is going to change everything about our faith. That's going to change the direction of our life. It's going to change what we do. It's going to change how we see what's in front of us. So let's stand right now. Let these words just be to Jesus. Focus and meditate on our Lord Jesus. Come and recall the things he has done. More than the heathen, I want the healer. Come and behold the works of the Lord. More than the saving, I want to save. You are beautiful. You are beautiful. You're my delight, my portion forever. You are my joy, my greatest treasure.
Jesus, I pray that that would come from true belief in our heart, God, above everything else in this world, that we would speak from our heart this week. Help us to develop that within us, to truly behold you, Lord Jesus, as you truly are, and to be able to say in all truth what we believe is that you are beautiful, you are greater far beyond everything else. God, we desire you above everything else. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us in our unbelief. We want our belief to be centered on you. Not in who we are, God, but who you are. Knowing that you are able and willing love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the life that we have in you. Thank you for the guidance that we have in you, your wisdom. You give it freely. No matter what we face, God, we can look to you and you help us. You guide us. You have a purpose for us. Help us to walk in that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Love you, church. 180. Tonight, everybody else, join us tonight as well, 5.30 at the Bazochi's house. Um, oh, Hope Group signups are on the table back there. If you're not in a Hope Group, those are coming up soon. So go in the Lord Church. Love you.